Hey folks, and welcome back to the Theopolis Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Motes, and I'm the content manager at Theopolis Institute. Theopolis trains men and women to lead cultural renewal by renewing the church. Participants in our programs learn to read the Bible imaginatively, worship God faithfully, and engage the culture intelligently. In this episode, we are sharing a talk that I recently gave at Trinity Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. This was during the Sunday school hour, and it's a lesson on why we should be singing and chanting the Psalms. With this podcast, we'd also like to announce the Theopolis Liturgy and Psalter. This project will contain the liturgies that we use during our course weeks at Theopolis, along with a few dozen psalms and psalm chant settings that we'll be adding to over the next couple of years as we work to complete the Psalter. So stay tuned here to the podcast and to our social media handles for more information about the Psalter project. Now, this lesson, while not exhaustive, does try to give a bit of a biblical theological foundation for singing the Psalms, as well as some practical steps and training as well. With that, we want to thank you so much for listening. We hope that you enjoyed this time of teaching. And here is a lesson on why we should sing and chant the Psalms. Okay, let's begin. Good morning. To begin, I want us to hear a few portions of Scripture. The first is from Ephesians chapter 5. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And from Colossians chapter 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And from John chapter 4, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Let's pray. God, our Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our kinsman and redeemer. Amen. Amen. So this morning we're going to be looking at why we should be singing, and in particular chanting, the Psalms. The Psalter is one of the big elephants in the room of the evangelical church. For the first 1,500 years of the church or so, the church's primary songbook was the Psalter. But over the past few hundred years of church history, the Psalms, as they were written, were replaced by metrical Psalms. And then metrical Psalms were gradually replaced by hymns based on a few verses. And then those were eventually replaced by praise choruses. And then we end up being where we are now with the modern worship movement. The Psalter is God's hymn book. He wrote the Psalms. He loves the Psalms. And I submit that part of what it means to live under the authority of Scripture is to be found as singers of the Psalms. So this morning, to frame our discussion about the Psalms and about singing the Psalms, I want us to look at what God is doing in the world and what is our job as his people. I want to look at what the Psalms are and why we should sing them. I want to look at the how-to of psalm singing and psalm chanting. And then we're going to sing uh, at least one song, uh, psalm towards the end. Okay, It'll be a little call and response. And that'll be in a packet that is back there on the baptismal if you haven't picked that up. So, let's jump in. When God created the world, he was on a mission to make earth like heaven. 
Man was made in the image of God on the sixth day to represent God in the world and to continue his work in making the earth more and more like heaven. Adam specifically was given the role of priest, king, and prophet. In his priestly role, he was called to guard the garden and to worship God with his worship partner, Eve. In his kingly role, Adam was to protect the garden and crush the head of any enemies that would come. And as prophet, Adam was to be a conversation partner with God, talking to God and then speaking God's words to others, namely Eve and their offspring. Now, Adam and Eve were made as bride and as bridegroom, enjoying a one flesh union. They were naked and they were not ashamed. They were fully known to one another. And indeed, the first thing that we see Adam speaking in the scripture is poetry. But because of sin, these roles of priest, king, prophet, bride, bridegroom, all of these roles were corrupted and we were broken in our relationship with God and with one another. We became the wayward bride. Instead of acting like godly priests, man was and still is prone to corrupting God's word straying from God's word and offering corrupt worship and sacrifices. And instead of acting like godly kings, man is prone to being limp-wristed and to follow up behind the troops instead of leading them from out in front. Instead of acting like godly prophets, man turns an indignant ear to God's word all too often. Man, we, are often prayerless. We don't talk to God. We don't hear from him in his word. And so we can't speak God's words to each other into a dark world. Now, throughout the Old Covenant, we see these roles of bridegroom and bride and priest and king and prophet come up time and again. The world of the tabernacle and the temple pictured Eden to us in their various decorations and their items of worship. The tabernacle and the temple were places on earth where heaven and earth would meet and God would descend and would fill the tabernacle and the temple. The priests would minister in this environment between heaven and earth. They were representatives of Israel, but they were also representatives of the world. And they would make right sacrifices and they would lead the people of God in knowing God's law. They were called to protect the tabernacle and the temple as Adam was to protect the garden. Then after the priests, you have the kings of Israel, whose primary job was to follow God and to lead his people in battle, in wisdom, and in example. And the prophets were those who heard the word of the Lord, they spoke to God, and then they relayed the word of the Lord to others, to unbelievers and to the people of God. These were often words of forthcoming judgment, but they were also words of encouragement and of hope. Now, all throughout the Old Covenant, we can see God being faithful to his people in the picture of a faithful bridegroom to his wayward bride. Then in this context, bride, bridegroom, priest, king, and prophet, In comes the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus came as the faithful bridegroom to retrieve his love, his bride. He came as a priest teaching the law of God as the tabernacle and as the temple of God. He came as king, leading his people from out in front and ultimately laying down his life for his people. And he came as a prophet, a man of prayer and communion with God the Father, and he spoke for God during his time on earth. After his death and resurrection, he ascended into heaven to the right hand of the Father, and he has poured out his Spirit on us, his bride, the church. And by his Spirit, he has joined us to himself. We are his bride, we are one with our bridegroom, and we share all of his rights 
and all of his privileges, but also his sufferings and his joys. By his Spirit, now he has made us priests, kings, and prophets in his kingdom. We are his saints, and we have a job to do. Now, as priests, we are royal household servants. We are to wage holy war against God's enemies, putting on the full armor of God, as Ephesians 6 tells us. And as priests, we are to approach the throne room of God on behalf of the world. As kings, we are in different ways called down to lay down our lives for one another. And men, especially, are to lead their families and others and to be men of backbone. And as prophets, we are to be people of constant prayer, in communion with God in speech, but also in hearing his word and in speaking into the darkness of the world around us. Now, we've spent several minutes rehearsing these themes of priest, king, prophet, bride, and bridegroom. I thought this was a lesson about singing psalms. So why are we talking about this? I've mentioned all this to remind us of who we really are. We are saints. We are priests, kings, and prophets in Christ. And we have a vocation. We have a job to do while we are here on this earth. We are his bride. We are in union with Jesus Christ, our bridegroom. We are called to work with the greater David, the greater Adam, to heavenize earth until he comes again. Indeed, one of our daily and weekly prayers to our bridegroom is that we would see his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in each of these roles, as bride, as priests and kings and prophets, singing the psalms plays an essential role. So what are the psalms? We're finally to the psalms. We made it to the psalms. The psalms are God's word. The psalms are poems written to be sung. The psalms are for singing. The Psalter is God's hymn book, and the psalms are his praise songs. The Psalter is composed in our Bibles of 150 songs for worship and for devotion, and they're songs given by God to train us in prayer and in praise. The Psalter is the only God-inspired, God-written hymn book that we have. And thus, when we sing them, we have no worry about the appropriateness of the language, of the wording, of the theology, and we have no need to worry about heresy. God intends this book to be sung and to make up the core of our worship to him. This was the case in Jesus' day and was the case for the first 1,500 or so years of the church. The Psalms formed the core of the praise of the New Testament church. The Jews would sing these songs day by day, and this was the world that Jesus and the apostles inhabited. Indeed, we see Jesus singing these Psalms and then quoting from him during his last breaths as he died for us on the cross. He knew these psalms very well. Singing the psalms shaped the worldview of Israel as they sang these psalms day in and day out. And indeed, the psalms come up in the New Testament more than any other book of the Old Covenant, about 400 times in the 260 or so chapters of the New Testament. Which is to say that Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, these others quote and allude to the Psalter so much because they knew it extremely well. What are the psalms about? The Psalms given by the Holy Spirit cover the full range of our human experience. All of these aspects and all the Psalms are ultimately fulfilled in the Lord Jesus. And in union with Christ, they are all true for us as well. There are Psalms of praise. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Psalm 8. There are Psalms of confession. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. And cleanse me from my sin. It's from Psalm 51. There are psalms of 
intense and deep sorrow. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. It's from Psalm 88. There are psalms of complaining. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. That's from Psalm 22. There are psalms of high praise and thanksgiving. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. And there are psalms of trust. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the depths of the sea. Psalm 46. And the psalms also teach us our own history, like Psalm 136, which recounts all of the history of God's dealings with his people and recounts his faithfulness to us and calls us to praise him in the midst of that. So let's talk about Jesus and the Psalms. Jesus made these Psalms his own by singing them, but not only that, the Psalms are written by the Holy Spirit, which is his own spirit. Every single Psalm is also fulfilled in him, and they are fulfilled in him as the bridegroom, as the priest, as our king, and as our prophet. This should deeply, deeply encourage us. Jesus is not some stoic emotionless God-man who saves his people from a distance. No, he enters our very experience as our representative and as our savior. He not only felt the Psalms of praise and of trust, he certainly did, but he also entered into our darkness, into our dark night of the soul, into our own feelings of abandonment, of forsakenness, of weariness, of panic, of anxiety. As our bridegroom Jesus has blessed his bride with all of his favorite songs for us to sing to and with him. He has gone before his bride in suffering. Because of this, he's able to hold his bride's hand through the suffering because he's been there before. As priest, Jesus gives us his psalter to instruct us about God, about ourselves, about where we come from, about where we're going. And as our priest, he sacrificed himself and has redeemed all of the darkness that pervades our world and our own hearts. And we see those things in the Psalms. And as our king, Jesus gives us his psalter to lead us in battle as his saints and holy warriors. He is a good king who leads from out front. His spirit gave us these songs. He's sung them before and he's lived them before. And as our king, the enemies that surround us as we sing the Psalms have been dealt a death blow and will one day be done away with forever. The imprecatory Psalms that we see in the scripture will be answered by our Lord Jesus, who will destroy all of his enemies. As our prophet, Jesus gives us the Psalter to encourage and help us engage with him in our dialogue with him in prayer. And wondrously, he gives us the words to say and simultaneously speaks back to us in these songs. And wonder of wonders, Jesus uses his own last breath to quote from Psalm 31, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Before his death, the Psalms were on his heart and mind as our prophet. All of the Psalms have been fulfilled in Christ. They all point to him, not just like verses, but entire Psalms point to them. These are his Psalms. So let's discuss Psalm singing in the church. How are we to relate all of this to us? Well, one is that we are called to sing these Psalms specifically. We are his saints. We are his bride. We are priests, kings, and prophets in union with the Lord Jesus, the priest, king, and prophet. When Jesus saved us, when he called us his own, when he claimed us in baptism, we were given a task. We were made saints. And we are to join the Lord Jesus in his mission to heavenize earth. 
And part of this means that we want to sing and we want to worship on earth as it is in heaven. We want to sing the songs written by the one who is in heaven currently. The Psalms are our model prayers and our songs to be sung. As the bride of Christ, we want to please our bridegroom and sing his songs. He wrote them and he loves them. We know when we sing these psalms that he is pleased with them. We are to submit to Christ as our head, as his bride. And part of that submission is worshiping with the songbook that he has left behind for us, the songbook that he himself sang from. As priests, we are to instruct and admonish one another. We read about this earlier in Ephesians and Colossians. We are to instruct and admonish one another, singing these psalms to and with one another. We as priests are to sing psalms in God's presence on the Lord's day on behalf of the world. But because we're sinners, we're prone to be like Adam and we're prone to not listen to God's word or remember it. We'd be happy just doing what we've always done, singing what we've always sung, singing what's familiar to us or what catches our ear better. But God calls us to something better. He's given us 150 glorious songs to learn. And in Christ, we want to learn these. There's nothing more natural than singing the psalms of our great high priest who we are one with. Now, look at this year alone, church. We have the pandemic. We have governmental corruption. We have wicked leaders. We have those seeking for dishonest gain. We have looters. We have rioters. We have those who hate the truth. We have rampant sexual sin and perversion. We have the slaughter of a million plus babies a year. And we have the coming oppression on Christ's church from the world around us. And the whole world around us is calling good evil. Evil, good. What do we do? As priests, we are called to offer up our sacrifice, which is a sacrifice of praise that worships God and wages holy war against our enemies and our own sin. If we want God to change the world, we're going to sing these psalms to him and call on him to uphold his word. Do we want to see God in abortion? We should constantly pray for this, but we should also sing to God our feelings that his justice would rain down. The primary tool that we have for our holy war is the Psalter. This is our job, and it's one of the main reasons why we were enlisted in God's holy army. As priests, we are to put on the full armor of God for holy war. A big part of our holy war is singing the war songs of the Prince of Peace. As kings, that's our priestly role. As kings, we want to follow our high king, Jesus, where he leads and sing his songs as our battle cries. Now, in our sin, again, we're prone to be like Adam, okay? Adam sidestepped the serpent, okay? And we we are prone to sidestep him as well and to allow something besides God's word to rule in our life. But in Christ, we want to learn these songs, right? These songs give us backbone. They give us strength to our tendency to be limp-wristed. They make us stand up straight to fight with our king. And just as David, the king, defeated evil spirits with the lyre and used his fingers to fight, which is from Psalm 144, so we have a musical army right here at TPC. Okay? We have our voices. We have a piano. We have Don's mighty trumpet. We have a little army of violin players waging war against the devil and his minions. And we will win. As prophets, that's our kingly role, as prophets, we want to sing in communion with God using his words that he's given us to do so. And when we sing the Psalms, 
He delights in them when he hears them, and he promises to make good on his covenantal promises and to change the world. In the face of all that's going on around us, we need to take up this mantle of prophet and communion with God so that we have a word for the world around us. But again, because we are sinners, we are prone to wander from our prophetic office. We're prone to neglect God's hymnal, which brings us into the fellowship of God. And we're too often more excited to sing other uninspired things, man-made hymns. Many of these hymns are wonderful and incredible, and we should be singing them. And many of the best ones are psalm-based. But they're no substitute for the hymnal of God. So why singing? Okay, It's one of the big questions that we, we come up with when we talk about singing the psalms. Why singing in particular? So we're called to sing the psalms for several reasons. If you're prone to taking lists, there's a bunch of them here. There's like 15 plus. So uh, have fun with that. Uh, I want to give us a bunch of reasons of why we should be singing them in particular. Okay. Many churches today sing virtually no psalms. Most churches in the world don't. Okay. In most churches, the Psalter is not the primary hymn book of the church. And so here are some proactive reasons for singing them and why we, we should be excited to do so. First, they were written to be sung, and we need to honor their purpose, okay? You can read any hymn. You can read any song, okay? Uh, You could sit there and just read the words to It Is Well With My Soul, but that doesn't give the song its full purpose, nor does it stir up your emotions as it ought. You know, when peace... I'm taken back right to my childhood when I start hearing these things. But you could just say, when peace like a river... You know, you just start saying it. It doesn't have the same effect because that is a song and a song is meant to be sung. So we want to honor the reason that they were written. Number two, that was number one. They were written to be sung. Two, we are told by God explicitly to sing them. Okay. Now we want to delight our Heavenly Father and obey all of his commands. And this is one of them. Number three. We don't want to be Gnostics. We don't want to just pretend like it's only the ideas of things that matter, right? The Psalms are not primarily a hymn book to be studied just to get all of the right ideas about God into our brains, okay? It's not just about checking off the box of assent that these things are important and these things are useful. But God gave us a hymnal, and we should sing them. Number four, singing things over and over and over shapes our worldview. And we'll frame how we read the rest of the Bible and how we look at the world around us. And the world around us is a postmodern mess. It's confused. And singing the Psalms will help us keep our feet on the ground of God's reality. Singing the Psalms changes us. They bring us into God's order. God's order is then bearing down on our lives when we sing the Psalms. They train us in prayer and in praise. Just as in Psalm 1, we see the blessed man is one who meditates on God's law day and night, and then he becomes a fresh and green tree. Number five. This is a big one. We've already seen that the Psalms cover the full spectrum of human experience, but knowing that God intends these songs to be used in private and public worship means that we can see that he's inviting us to bring our entire selves as an offering of praise to him. In our flesh, we're prone when we come to worship, to keep everything polished and pinned up, to put on a happy face, and to cut corners in our emotional relationship to God 
and with one another. Now, this is not, church, the way of the Psalms. This is not what God is inviting us to with the Psalter. In singing the Psalms, God is inviting us to worship him with our entire selves. Now, this will sometimes involve being angry with God. This will sometimes mean being honest about how last night we flooded our bed with our tears. This will sometimes mean admitting feelings of forsakenness or of panic or of anxiety. And we are given the psalms of begging, of pleading, of anger, of crying out for justice so that we can shout and sing these things to God and worship. Now, right here, I'm going to sing to you out of the ESV a portion of Psalm 88. And as you listen to this, uh, you can look up here, you can look down, you can close your eyes, whatever will help you to listen um, and receive uh, these verses. Um, but these, this is some of Psalm 88. O Lord God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave. Like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors, I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me, your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long, they close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. We want to worship God with our entire honest self. Psalm 88 is easily the darkest of the Psalms. But as some people have pointed out, the psalmist, the Psalter, is still talking to God in the midst of it. All of human experience is brought into praise and worship in the song Psalter. We can say to God, this is me, this is all I have. Accept this as right praise before you, and wonder of wonders, he does. The Psalms also express incredible joys, and they remind us of our history as God's people. Without the Psalms, we are far less likely to express these things to God in worship. Number six, a diet of primarily man-written hymns 
will also change us, which is something we need to be thinking about. And many of these hymns, while wonderful, lack in some of the depth, nuance, and breadth of the Psalms. Number seven, in our worship and singing, we should primarily be asking, what pleases the Lord? Not, what's the most pleasing to my ear at this time? Number eight, this is part of what it means, as we read in John at the beginning, to worship in spirit and in truth. The Spirit wrote these songs just for you, every single one of you. The Spirit wrote these for you to sing. Number nine, all of the Psalms, again, are fulfilled in the Lord Jesus. Think about this. These Psalms belong to Him, and He is inviting us to sing them. Those depths of joys and those depths of despair are His experiences too. He has tasted those things for us. And just as heaven and earth met in the tabernacle and the temple, and in Jesus who sang these psalms, so heaven and earth meet when we sing them as well. For you are the temple of God, as the book of Ephesians has taught us. Number 10, we want our worship and praise to be filled with God's word. We want our worship and our songs to be biblical. Number 11, we sing to fulfill these roles of priest, king, and prophet that we talked about earlier. Music and worship is our sacrifice of praise, where God's words enter our very bodies as we sing and as we ascend to him in worship. When we sing what God has told us to sing, the cities of men crumble. Number 12, this is a brief one, singing the songs will prepare you to die for the faith. Number 13, God not only loves them, but he uses our prayers and our praise to change the world. And in the face of all of the evil that is happening in the world around us, we should be ready to bring these psalms to him in worship. Okay? I've thought a lot about how in the last year, it seems like the church is really uh, just trying to figure out what to say and what to do with all that's going on. Uh, wicked leaders, corruption, the pandemic, what is going on? When it would be a glorious thing, I'm literally fantasizing about this type of thing, a hundred years from now, the church knows all, all 150 psalms, and when something happens in the news that week, we're going to sing Psalm 9, Psalm 17, Psalm 86 this week because this happened. Okay. Number 14. Our children, if we sing these psalms, will own these psalms. If we start singing these songs with them and to them, they could easily, believe it or not, have most of the psalms, if not all of them, memorized by the time they are headed to college. Kids love these songs. I have the just the wonderful joy of teaching anywhere from 10 to 20 kids every Tuesday morning how to chant the Psalms uh, right over here before CC. And um, these kids love it. And they love that even those that can't read, uh, they can hear me say, blessed and Mary is the man. And then they repeat it back to me. Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked? Who walks not? And they can just repeat it. So I have little Isaac Bringle over there sitting down with his face just lit up because he's participating and chanting the scriptures. It's unbelievable. Number 15, singing the Psalms will open up the Bible to us in imaginative new ways. Okay, As we sing and meditate and memorize these Psalms, neat things will begin to happen where even with Psalm 1, like we just, like we, uh, just heard a little bit of, um, you'll be singing about uh, wanting to be like a tree planted by streams of water. And then the next time you read Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 and you're hearing about this garden and tree imagery, Light bulbs are starting to go off about some of these connections, okay? And lastly, they bind us together with one another and with the church universal. A couple of weeks ago, 
Debbie mentioned, uh, praying for those who are suffering for the faith all around the world. And, um, you know, some of these, some of these folks that are, that are suffering and in cages and in prison and their children are being killed and they are being killed, they need us to sing the psalms for them on their behalf. And also, there are people in our church who are in deep suffering. And we need to be able to sing these things for them, with them, and to them. So as many have said, the Psalms were good enough for Jesus. They're good enough for us. This is part of our calling as the bride of Christ, as priests and as kings and as prophets in the Lord. We are commanded to sing these Psalms. So let us stand between heaven and earth as God's people and sing the hymn book that God has given to us for his glory, for us, and for the sake of those around us. Amen. Okay, we're going to talk about chanting in just a moment, but I wanted to stop there and see if there are any questions, any feedback, any, anything someone wanted to say or ask. Why chanting may be one of the main questions, so maybe we should just move on. Emma? Yes. So, so for most of the history of the church and God's people, they would just kind of intone the text. So they would bless and Mary is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. And everyone would say it right back all on one tone like that. Um, because most people couldn't read and there weren't books for most of the history of the world. So a precious few people had access to these things. They would intone the text and everyone would just intone it back. And that's how they worshiped and sang and memorized. But now uh, we're in a super blessed position where we have... Uh, hundreds of years of Anglican chants. We have people writing new chants. We have people writing through composed psalms um, and giving new music. So it's really a matter of, uh, it's, it's, I, don't, I can't take any credit for this, but others who have gone before me uh, going through and either writing chant tones. And then once I, once I land on one, I kind of stick with it because I don't want to diverge and then uh, the melody becomes really tied to it. So uh, for instance, at TPC over the last year, we've started doing pre-pandemic we started memorizing 46 together. And a lot of the families of Trinity have taken Psalm 46 home and have begun chanting it in family worship. And so that tune of God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble, even that melody calls back that psalm to them. Um, so I haven't, I haven't figured any of these psalm chants out as far as writing them or anything like that. I use a lot of Jim Jordan's chants. We, I use a lot of uh, Anglican plain song chants. Um, but there's a lot of good stuff out there and we can talk resources afterward or I may, I may, I may have time in a minute. Yeah, we may have time to discuss some resources at the end. Um, I guess I'll go ahead and bring up the, the Psalms, uh, reading the Psalms with Luther is a little book that's really useful. Um, it's got eight chant tones there at the beginning. It's, they're just written out and then it just has all 150 Psalms with like commentary from Luther. You can just pick a chant tune and go and sing it. Um, there's, there's some downsides to that in the sense that there's just eight chant tunes for the whole 150. And so you're going to get a little muddled on some of the melodies. Ideally, you'd want to have a chant tune for each psalm so that you can call those things to mind. And Lord willing, uh, Theopolis will put something like that out in a few years. So that's something we're working on. But uh, we, are, we are in a position right now where we need to produce these things. And we have people writing chant tunes and figuring that out. Any other questions before we move on to chanting? Cam? Hey, uh, could you talk a little bit about the difference between maybe, you mentioned hymns of 
Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. That'll be answered here in just a second too, but I will say like chanting, the benefit of, one of the big benefits of chanting is that you just get the straight scripture. Um, metrical versions of Psalms uh, tend to put, put the verses of scripture in a little bit of a straight jacket of meter and of melody and rhythm. And so you often end up having something more along the lines of a sermon on the Psalm instead of the Psalm itself. So even the end of Psalm 46, um, let's see. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. That's an exact translation from Psalm 46 in the Hebrew. But the other version that we have is, Be still and know that I am God among the nations. I will be exalted. I on earth will be exalted. I, the Lord of hosts, is on our side, our safety to secure. The God of Jacob is for us a refuge strong and sure. Hear me say this. Unbelievable song. And we should be singing it. Um, but it's not, the, it's not the exact text. It adds words and it takes away words. And so often with metrical versions, you lose words like sacrifice or uh, a lot of important parts of the scripture because you're trying to fit things into a certain rhythm and, and melody. So chanting keeps all those words in there. Let's move on. So we just have a few more minutes to uh, chanting. And hopefully we'll have time to, to sing one thing here just a moment. So what is it? Chanting is singing the words on the pitch at the rhythm of the words themselves. It's that simple, okay? And it shouldn't be slow and low, but it should be loud and vigorous, okay? So the benefits of chanting is that you get precisely what the Word of God says, okay? You keep not only the Word of God, but you also keep, and this is, this is something interesting to think about, you keep the important shape of the text, okay? The Psalms are written in these beautiful parallel lines, and the thoughts rhyme, Okay, maybe not the words, but every line has a responsive line that rhymes with it. Okay, the word is not merely, again, information to be studied, but we want to sing this text as it's written because that will also shape our thinking. Okay? Uh, another benefit of chanting is you don't necessarily have to be able to read or you don't have to read music at all to be able to jump in immediately. Uh, another huge benefit is you memorize the actual text of Scripture. So I had a lot of families uh, last year, once we started chanting at hymn sings, say that they came across XYZ psalm that we had chanted, and when they got to it, they were able to sing it. What a beautiful thing. But if you memorize only hymned versions of the psalms, uh, you'll come to those psalms and you won't, it won't be as familiar. Again, kids love it. Uh, I I've, I've been sore in the last couple of weeks thinking about Isaac Bringle. I mean, all the older kids, like the, the 7, 8, and 10-year-olds, they love to sing anyway. But to see a, a young'un who can't read at all be able to sing psalms and praise with a big old smile on his face, what a joy. Um, a little, this is not so much a con to chanting, but uh, one possible, and it's a little tricky to learn at first. It takes time. It takes practice. It's a little bit like getting on a unicycle, okay, it's, or uh, learn, a kid learning how to ride a bike. It's going to take some practice, but as Chesterton said, like anything worth doing is worth doing badly at first, and so it's worth uh, jumping in and, um, and uh, growing in that skill. And also here, a cantor can be extremely useful, you know, um, to, to have someone be able to just, everyone can just look up here, and I could say, let's, let's try this out. Why do nations conspire? And peoples murmur a vain thing. And peoples murmur a vain thing. 
Positioned are earth's kings. Positioned are earth's kings. And the rulers take counsel together. And the rulers take counsel together. Against Yahweh. Against Yahweh. And against his anointed. And against his anointed. Saying, let us break their chains. Great. Y'all sound incredible. And that's with no practice. Okay. And you would get used to this as you heard it more and more and more. And now imagine another 200 people roaring this thing out. Okay. Gets my blood going. Let's go. All right. So uh, I like to dream about what this would look like, uh, what this looks like with family worship. I literally think about uh, what's, uh, it, wouldn't it be wonderful when Abel comes home and he's 30 years old and he jumps in helping me with the dishes and he and I can just roar out a couple of Psalms together. How glorious would that be? So I think about this. Uh, think about your day. You're washing the dishes. Blessed and merry is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. You're driving to work. Psalm 2. Why do nations conspire and peoples murmur a vain thing? Okay, you're working in the garden. Psalm 3. Yahweh, how many are my foes? Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. The family's starting to gather around the table. Psalm 4. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. You go on a walk. Psalm 12. Help Yahweh, for the godly person is no more. For the faithful disappear from among the sons of Adam. You're having a hard day. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. You're about to go back for a difficult test, or your daughter, or your son, or your kid's about to have a difficult surgery. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. You're folding laundry, Psalm 120. To Yahweh in my distress I cried, And he heard me. Yahweh, deliver my soul from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. Okay? We can know how to respond to things in the world. We can also carry these things. Doesn't that that sound like meditating on God's law day and night? And it's so much easier if you chanted the actual text and you can memorize things over time. Okay? So I encourage you, church, to sing the Psalms all the time. All the time, as often as you can. Okay? You have family come over, sing the Psalms. You're at home group, sing the Psalms. We should sing the Psalms in worship. Ladies' groups, have somebody leading a psalm. Men's groups, sing Psalms together. We recently had a Trinity Tavern where we were at Cahaba Brewing. Uh, some of you have heard about this, and we roared out a few Psalms. And the folks, the, uh, I don't know if he was a manager, but a few folks on staff came out and asked us to come back and do it again. What a thing. Okay, so if you don't have a packet, there are some. We're going to try to get one in here before we need to wrap up. There are packets on the baptismal if you didn't get one. Okay. So once you hear the melody, it's pretty quick to memorize it. And uh, we're going to do uh, Psalm 12. So the notes in chanting, for those who are musically inclined, only indicate pitch, not time. Okay, that's part of the things that kind of confuses people at first. So every syllable, if you look at Psalm 12, 
Uh, look at line one there. Help Yahweh for the godly person is no more. Every syllable before that vertical line is sung on the same pitch. Okay? And that vertical line there in the middle of the verse is a cue to sing what follows after it. So this psalm chant, Psalm 12, is... See, I just have to imagine a piano playing that out. So this one sounds like this. I'll sing just a line or two. Help Yahweh, for the godly person is no more. For the faithful disappear from among the sons of Adam. Okay? So you can see I say, Help Yahweh, for the godly person is on the same pitch, and then after that line, is no more, follows the next three notes, okay? And after, you have to, you have to just sing by faith here, and uh, Jim Jordan says, don't moo out song chants, okay? This isn't Gregorian chanting, this is vigorous and loud. So let's, uh, let's sing Psalm 12, we're going to do a call and response, and then we'll wrap up. Help Yahweh, for the godly person is no more. Help Yahweh, for the godly person is no more. For the faithful disappear from among the sons of Adam. For the faithful disappear from among the sons of Adam. Emptiness they speak to one another. Emptiness they speak to one another. Flattering lips with double heart they speak. Let's do two lines here. May Yahweh cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that speaks great things. May Yahweh cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that speaks great things. That say with our tongue we will prevail, we own our lips, who is our master. That say with our tongue we will prevail. We own our lips, who is our master. Because of the oppression of the weak, because of the groaning of the needy, because of the oppression of the weak, because of the groaning of the needy, I will arise, says Yahweh, I will protect him from the one who maligns him. I will arise, says Yahweh. I will protect him from the one who maligns him. Yahweh sings our pure sings. Silver purified in an earthen furnace, refined sevenfold. Yahweh sings our pure sings. Silver purified in an earthen furnace, refined sevenfold. You, Yahweh, will guard them. You will preserve us from this generation everlastingly. You, Yahweh, will guard them. You will preserve us from this generation everlastingly. On every side the wicked strut about. When vileness is exalted among the sons of Adam. On every side the wicked strut about. When vileness is exalted among the sons of Adam. Let's sing this together. Praise to Yahweh, the God of Israel, from everlasting and unto everlasting. Amen. Yes.
So you just sang an entire song straight from the text. And uh, after, you, after you do that two, three, four, five, six times, you have it. And you have it for the rest of your life. Okay. Um, we're out of time for questions. So please come and ask questions or discuss with one another and me afterwards. Um, let's pray. Father, be with us now as we come to your table. We praise you for this church. We praise you for those young and old who are coming now to receive your good gifts and word and sacrament. Pray that you would be with Peter as he preaches. Be with all of us. Help us to worship in spirit and in truth. Amen. Thank you again for enjoying this episode of the Theopolis Podcast. For more information and for more content from Theopolis, you can check us out online at theopolisinstitute.com. We release new articles every Tuesday and Thursday on our blog, so you'll want to make sure to look out for those. You can also find us on Twitter at underscore Theopolis and on Facebook if you just search for our name. If you've been helped, sharpened, and encouraged by this podcast, we'd really love it if you would go to iTunes and leave us a review. It just takes a few seconds, and it really will help us along in getting our content in front of new listeners. That's all for now, friends. We really look forward to being with you all again in the next episode. And as always, thank you so much for listening.